Good morning. You may be seated. Welcome. Anybody know what time it is? Yeah, me neither. My name is Strider Stokes. I'm the student pastor here. We are so glad that you have joined us for worship. If, if you're sitting in the auditorium, if you're worshiping online, thank you for being here. Hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are three weekends away from Easter, y'all. And uh, we're really excited um, about Easter because there are certain times in the calendar year where God gives us opportunities to present the gospel to lost people. And uh, those are found around Easter and Christmas and Vacation Bible School. And uh, our staff and elders have been thinking and praying and dreaming about what Easter might look like this year. That morning, we are going to, uh, to jump into 1 Corinthians 15, and it says this. I want to read it to you. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the good news, the gospel, that we are going to proclaim three weekends from now. And our hope and our prayer is that this auditorium, both at 9 o'clock and at 10.30, would be filled with people who have yet to believe the good news. The other thing we've been talking about is the reality that when uh, we talk about, when Scripture talks about worship, it paints a picture of a participatory event. That this is not just about a few people up here leading an audience. That collectively, as a group, we participate in every element of it together. And so, I don't know if you've even thought about Easter. It's early in the morning today. It's still three weekends away. Maybe you've thought about lunches and Easter egg hunts and all those types of things. Our family certainly has. But let me suggest something to you. Paul writes that the gospel is of first importance. And I want to invite you to something. What if this year we started a new Easter tradition? What if from this Easter onward collectively, as a church, as a congregation, we started an Easter tradition where we woke up together in anticipation of seeing the Lord bring people from death to life. That is our hope and our dream and our prayer for this Sunday. Sorry, for this Easter Sunday. So here's what I want you, want you to do. In the seat backs in front of you, there is a connect card. Would you grab one and hold it up in the air. Yeah, I love early adopters on this. I saw this first, and then I think we were here second. Yes, two, two Amazon gift cards. Thank you all for, uh, oh, you still, still holding up cards? Okay, we'll go over here. And that's all I got. I only got three. What I want you to do is I want you to write your name on the Connect card. And then in the comments section, I see you, Jeff Rott. Only got three. Sorry, bud. In the comments section, what I'd love for you to do is to write the names of people who have yet to believe that you would love to see here with you on Easter Sunday. Could be people that you go to school with. Could be people that you see at work, that you live in the same neighborhood with. Whoever that is, write their names down. We've got an opportunity as we lead up for the next three weeks into Easter to pray for those people by name. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for them. And we are going to expect that the Lord would do miraculous things with those prayers. So after you fill out your card, you can put them in the uh, black box on your way out. I also want to highlight your attention to a couple things. You notice on this uh, little graphic that we're going to have a Palm Sunday lunch uh, following the 10.30 service, uh, that's in two weekends from now. We've contacted Carabas. They are going to cater the event. So if you like to eat, and you know people who like to eat, please invite them to come. We'll be in the gym afterwards. It'll be a ton of fun. Um, maybe if you're worshiping with us online, that might be a, a great Sunday to come back and connect with uh, your church body. The other thing that's happening is there is a Good Friday service on um, Obviously, the Friday before Easter, 6.30, and it'll be here. It'll be both campuses. 
lasts about an hour or so, and that is going to mark the uh, beginning of 48 hours of prayer leading up to Easter. Those names that you're writing on the card, uh, we're going to ask people to sign up to pray for 30 minutes at a time. The people that you write down will get prayed for 96 times over that weekend. We hope to build a database filled with thousands of names. So as you're thinking about people, jot them down. As you're listening to Smiley preach this morning, jot them down. I promise you he'll be fine with that. Stick them in the black box on your way out. By the way, speaking of that Connect card, if you're new or visiting, would love for you to give us any information that you're comfortable giving us. We're just so excited that you're here and would love to welcome you. And last but not least, uh, we have a thing called Discover Good News, which Tim Pollock, our small group director, hosts every Sunday. It happens at 9 a.m. out in the uh, Connect room right outside the lobby. Just a chance to come connect to a small group, to, uh, to learn more about who we are at Good News, to learn more about our philosophy of ministry, and to, uh, to be invited to what God's doing here. So as um, Smiley comes up to uh, proclaim the word this morning, let's continue to worship together. Actually, we have a family joining in baptism, so I'm going to invite the Wolf family if they come up at this time. They're not all joining, but um, we have Paxton here who kind of led the family, came to faith in Christ and brought his family with him and wider family here. Daniel has been baptized, becomes to join Good News, what was pointed to in your baptism now being a reality in your life. And Melissa and Autumn have professed their faith in Christ and are coming today to be baptized and to join. It's interesting, in just a moment, the water is going to be poured over your head, and it's symbolic of when we believe in Jesus, how he washes all of our sins away, and then after he washes our sins away, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Maybe sometime you've been really dirty, and it felt so good to take a shower. doesn't feel good to get clean, and so the water is picturing how he washes our sins away, and, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. Let's get the three of you facing out here a little bit. There we go. All right, we'll start with you, Melissa. Melissa Wolf, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then Autumn. Autumn Wolf, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What's so beautiful about this morning that we're going to hear how the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, that our God wants to save not only individuals, but families. Often it starts from the family down, the parents down. Sometimes it starts from the kids up. We're so glad to, uh, to have all of you now be uh, baptized and uh, to know Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for Melissa. Thank you so much for Autumn. And we do pray as this water has been poured over their head that you would really assure them of being forgiven, wash clean. That you would really assure them that through the, uh, that you've poured out your Holy Spirit on them so that they could live a, a new life. Lord, thank you that, that Daniel, thank you that uh, Paxton also have faith in you and you've washed their sins away and given them the Holy Spirit. Lord, we rejoice with this family today and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yep. Now, I think we're baptized into Christ and also into his body, so you're making good news, your church home. So let me ask you these vows. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his wrath and hopeless without his mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you trust him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? Yes. And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as followers of Christ should? Yes. And do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? Yes. And one last, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? And it's really neat, you have a lot of family and friends up here with you, and they're celebrating with you, but they're also here hearing your vows, so that you try and want, run away from Jesus, and they're going to bring you back and say, listen, you need Jesus, we need Jesus, we need each other. So that's why they're up here with you, and uh, we're so excited for you. Let me pray for you. 
Lord, thank you for, for Daniel and for Melissa, for Autumn and Paxson, for bringing them to be a part of Good News. Help them to feel welcome. Help them to grow here. We thank you that they have family and friends that will keep them close to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to welcome you, but encourage you after the service that you would make sure that welcome. We are so glad to have you guys a part of Good News. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Now, at Good News, we want to um, win people to faith in Christ. And this week, we rejoice. We saw eight different people who put their faith in Christ. And, and what's really neat is there were students who came to faith in Christ. There was an elder who had a chance to lead to faith. And lots of people who were involved in sharing Christ with others. And what a lot of us have taken this year is a challenge that we were praying that we would win one person of faith in Christ and make one disciple. So first we win people, and then on your seats, if you've not picked one up yet for the month, there's a study, and the study can help you make a disciple. It can help guide you how to win and then build and then, and then equip and then multiply. So when you win someone to faith in Christ this year, one of the things you want to teach them is how to spend time with Jesus, and part of that is teaching people how to pray. So I'm about to pray for you, but I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer, and, and I'm going to pray it for you, but I'm modeling for you how you can use the Lord's Prayer to teach people how to pray. You can use it in a short form, but you can use it in a longer form. So as I pray for you, listen, and you can pray for others the way I'm praying for you and equip others, okay? So, so let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven... Good morning, Father. You are everything we've always longed for in a Father. Strong and powerful and you love us. Good morning, Jesus. You're our big brother. You go first. You protect us. You're everything we've always wanted in a big brother. Holy Spirit, thank you for moving in. Thank you that you live in us. Thank you that you make the Christian life possible. Hallowed be your name. In our worship now, in our school this week, and in our play, in, in our work, may we exalt your name and lift up the name of Jesus and treat your name as holy. Your kingdom come. King Jesus, have your way in our lives. Help us to spread the good news of the kingdom everywhere we go this week. King Jesus, we pray for you to come back so that your kingdom could be here in all of its fullness. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, give us the desire and power to do God's will, to show people the way life is meant to be lived so that others would join us and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know our, our financial needs as individuals and as a church meet our needs. Oh, we pray for all of our physical and material needs. You know the sick among us. We pray that you would heal your people, that they could join us again in making disciples together. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Father, we're going to take a few moments now and confess our sins to you and experience forgiveness from you. And Lord, as you've forgiven us so much, help us to forgive those that have wronged us. And Lord, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from our flesh of thinking, the, the evil within us that we can run our lives better than you. Deliver us from that. Deliver us from the world that's always trying to squeeze us into its mold and deliver us from the evil one, his lies, his deceptions. And oh, Father, I pray that as we open your word together today that, that your spirit would teach us and we would see lost people one to you and believers built up and, and workers equipped and, and disciple makers multiplied. May it be so because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, 
I um, love to watch um, Family Feud. Isn't Steve Harvey amazing? He's such a great game show host. And one time I'm watching it, and they ask 100 wives, 100 women, what they wanted their husbands to say. And I've been married for a long time, but I'm not too good at this, so I listened in. And here's what they said. I'll never forget this. Here are the top three things that women said their husbands should be able to say. Yes, dear. You were right. And I love you. And for all these years, I've been wasting my time saying, I love you, I love you, when she really wanted me to say, yes, dear. <laughs> what she really wanted me to say is, you were right. And so I've really been working on that, learning to say, yes, dear, you were right, and, uh, and I love you. Now, here's why that's so important. The point of today's message is that Jesus requires unconditional surrender. Jesus requires unconditional surrender. You ever wonder what Jesus loves to hear from us? You know what he loves to hear from us? Yes, Lord. Not no, not but. He loves us when we say what? Yes, Lord. You know what Jesus loves to hear from us? You're right. You can run my life way better than me. You're right. You lead. You know what Jesus loves to hear from us? I love you. I love you because you first loved me, and because you love me, listen, I want to follow after you, right? Oh, Jesus loves to hear, yes, Lord, you are right. Listen, I love you and want to follow after you. That's what we're going to be exploring today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. If you're new, this year we're walking through the book of Exodus but I want you to know, wherever we look in the Bible, the message is always the same. The Bible is one story called the gospel, and the whole Bible is about how Jesus seeks and saves the lost, and I'm going to help you see that in the passage today. Um, it's what we're doing this year. It's almost like binge watching on Netflix, okay? So it's like previously on Exodus. Previously on Exodus, this is taking place in about 1450 B.C. That's when it happened. Um, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they're slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and they cry out, God, deliver us, and God raises up a reluctant deliverer whose name is Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, what? No, because he has two million slaves. Why would he give up that economic engine? So he says no. So we've been learning God's beginning to send plagues on Pharaoh to get him to release them. Here's the 10 plagues. We've looked at the plague of blood and frogs and gnats and flies and livestock that died. We've looked at boils and hail. And now we're looking at, this week we'll look at locust and darkness. Then there will be one plague left. Okay, that sets us up. Exodus 10, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I perform my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Now, we've been learning in the Bible the word heart is different from our culture. In our culture, heart means primarily the emotions. But in the Bible, it's the control center. It's the mind where we think. It's the emotions where we feel. And it's the will where we make choices. And what we've been learning is it says here that God hardened his heart. A few weeks ago, Travis spoke and he said, 20 times in the story, we hear about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. 10 times, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And 10 times, God hardens his heart. So we're beginning to unpack what does it mean that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? So I'd like to teach you a little theology here, okay? This, this is worth the price of admission, just this here, okay? The Bible speaks about common grace and special grace. Common grace and special grace. And you say, what is common grace? Common grace is that God is, good to, God is good in some ways to all people. Common grace is that all people experience God's common grace. That means when the sunrise, sun shines, it shines on who? On the believer and the unbeliever. When the rain falls, it falls on who? On the believer and the unbeliever. 
And God's common grace is that God works in all people's hearts to keep their hearts from being as hardened as they would naturally be. That's God's common grace. God's special grace is that God is good in all ways to some people. Some people experience not only God's common grace, they experience His saving grace. He sends the Holy Spirit. He softens their heart. He draws them to Himself. He blesses them with every spiritual blessing. And so when it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart, God's not hardening, hardening a soft heart. What He's doing is removing His common grace so that Pharaoh's heart does what hearts do naturally, and that is be hardened against God. Second thing I wanted you to see in the first couple of verses is, is God has been telling Israel why he's doing all these plagues. He said he was doing these plagues so that the Hebrews would know God's great power in delivering them. He said he'd done these plagues so that the Egyptians would know. He said he had done them so all the world would know what God had done to deliver his people. And now he enters a new reason that I may perform these signs of mine among you that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson. God loves to save not only individuals but families that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. I am giving you stories Stories to tell your children, stories to tell your great-grandchildren of how God has delivered us. So every year after the Exodus, what did the Israelites do? They did what? They celebrated the Passover. They celebrated the Passover. And what was the Passover? Families sat down together and parents taught their children and parents taught their grandchildren how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Last Sunday... What did we do? We celebrated what? The Lord's Supper, right? And why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? So that we as a family tell our children and our grandchildren how God has delivered us from sin and death, right? And what do we do? Every uh, winter we have Christmas and we celebrate what? God's great act that God became a man to save us. And in a few weeks we're going to celebrate Easter. Isn't that stories that we tell our children and grandchildren? What? Of how Christ died for us and rose. Wow, God did this so that parents would have great stories to tell our children. Do we tell our children and grandchildren the great stories of how God has rescued us? Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They shall cover the face <clears throat> surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has escaped, what is left to you from the hail. And they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Then your houses shall be filled and the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day, and he turned and went out from Pharaoh. From Pharaoh. So Moses and Aaron were messengers. They were entrusted by God with a message to go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go, surrender to God, that Jesus requires absolute surrender. And isn't that the same message given to us? In Mark 16, 15, Look at the message Jesus has given to us. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He calls all of us to go where we live and work and play and proclaim the gospel, the bad news of the gospel and, and the good news of what Christ has done. And our part is to surrender because one day it will be too late. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? Pharaoh's advisors are beginning to say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let them go. You're destroying the land. You're destroying everything. And isn't that what happens to people and nations that don't acknowledge God? Don't they destroy themselves and others? 
So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Okay, go. Now, who do you want to go with you? Moses said, We shall go out with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We shall go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Everyone must go. All that we own must go. Then he, Pharaoh, said to them, Thus may the Lord be with you, if ever I let you and your little ones go. Take heed, for evil is in your mind. Now, go, not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. No way, Pharaoh says, am I going to let all of you go. Just the men go, but not the wives and not the children. So Pharaoh has been saying no to God, right? And now what's he doing? He's, he's bargaining with him. Okay, okay, I'll, 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 you can take, the men can go, but, but not the wives and not the children. But you need to know that uh, Jesus does not bargain with sinners. Jesus requires what? Unconditional surrender, right? You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? And he said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus knew his, his, his heart where his heart was, right? And he said, listen, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And what did the rich young ruler do? He walked away. And you know what I would have done if I was Jesus? I would have chased after him. You don't have to give it all away. Just give half away. Just give half away and then come follow me. But Jesus doesn't bargain with sinner. He requires unconditional surrender. And um, that's what's happening here. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the, of the land, even all that the hail had left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again, for they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Can you imagine being an Egyptian? You're watching your whole nation be destroyed. And what the hail, the few things the hail had left, the whole land has turned dark, and you hear the locust eating every green thing. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now notice what he says. Pharaoh actually had some really good theology there. He sinned against the Lord. We often think that sin is hurting other people, and, it, and we, it, that can be it. But sin is primarily against God. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. Please pray for me. He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind and took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. No one, not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons of Israel go. In the end, in the end, there's only going to be two kinds of people there are going to be those people who say to God, whose hearts have been softened before God and say to God, your will be done, right? Some people, we just prayed it, some people's hearts are softened before God and they'll say, your will be done. And there will be people whose hearts are hardened against God and in the end, God will say to them what? Your will be done. You don't want to do life with me? You don't want to do eternity with me? Have it your way. Oh, dear people, the Bible says over and over again, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart because it's far better for us to say to God, your will be done than for God to say that to us one day. So that's the plague of the locust. Um, 
Now we come to the ninth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Have you ever felt darkness? Uh, I have. And, And Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness. Have you ever been in thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days? Oh, when our kids were little, we were in Linville Falls, and we went into the cavern. And the tour guide said, uh, uh, I'm going to turn the light out. And it went from dark to dark. And I'm not kidding you, it was less than a second after he turned off the light, then kids all through the cavern started screaming because they were scared to death. It was thick. You could feel it. Feeling the darkness uh, in the early 2000s. Remember all those hurricanes? We, we lived in a house at the time that had lots of oak trees. So we stayed at the gym because my wife was afraid that, Karen was afraid that the oak trees would fall in our home. So we stayed in the gym. And, and when the electricity first went out, the, the emergency lights were on. And, and our kids had a great time. We're all running through the whole building. We're playing hide and seek. And then know what happened? The emergency lights went out. And it was dark. Have you ever noticed on Wildwood all the power lines go through the trees? Man, this road was dark. We have four boys. A couple of the older boys took our youngest son, Mark, into the bathroom in the gym with a flashlight. And then they left with a flashlight. (laughs) And Mark is stuck in a bathroom in thick darkness, and he's screaming. And I'm laughing. And then this voice says, you know, you are the parent. You are the parent. It was funny, but I had to go rescue him because it was so dark. Can you imagine? Listen to what it says. Um, So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another. Can you imagine? It's so dark you couldn't see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. So there was darkness in Egypt. But notice, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwelling. There were people living in the light. There were people living in the darkness. Don't we see that same thing today? Are there not people who live in the light? And are there not people who live in the darkness? Don't we hear the screams of people bumping into things in the dark, don't we? When was the last time we thanked God so much that we get to walk in the light? Oh, Jesus used darkness to describe what hell will be. In Matthew 25, notice what he says, throw out the worthless slave into the, help me, with the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. People often tell me, well, you know, Smiley, the weather will be better in heaven, but the company will be better in hell. It's not at all the way Jesus describes it. He says, throw them into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And what did we read in Egypt? That they couldn't what? They couldn't see one another. They were alone in thick darkness. But listen, we don't have to live in the darkness. We don't have to face an eternity in darkness. Jesus invites us into the light, doesn't he? I mean, in John chapter 8, look at this verse. Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Man, wouldn't you rather live in the light than in the darkness? Wouldn't you rather spend eternity in the light than in the darkness? I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Oh man, I have walked in the darkness, and I have walked in the light, and I'd much rather live in the light than in the darkness. Wouldn't you? Oh. What a picture. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. Again, he's, he's bargaining. You can take your families, but not your animals. But Moses said, because God doesn't bargain with sinners, But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. 
And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know what we, with what we will serve the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Now somehow, I left off these last two verses, but they're really important from the PowerPoint. Then Moses said to him, Get away from me. Beware, do not, beware, do not see my face again. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, you were right. I shall never see your face again. Isn't that a sad verse? I believe Moses loved Pharaoh. He wanted to see Pharaoh surrender to God and, and be saved. And he said, listen, you will never see my face again. And, and that's sad. But that's not the saddest verse in the Bible. Perhaps this is the saddest verse in the Bible in Matthew chapter 7. As Jesus is landing the Sermon on the Mount, this is how he lands it. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Could there be anything worse than to stand before Jesus and have him say, I never knew you. Depart from me forever. Oh, dear people, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Jesus requires unconditional surrender. Won't you surrender to him? I mean, what have we learned in the story so far? We've learned that God calls Pharaoh to surrender, and he says, no, no, no. And then he tries to bargain with God, but God doesn't bargain with sinners. He requires unconditional surrender. Isn't that the gospel? Oh, I love in Isaiah 53. This verse really contains the whole gospel, starting with the bad news of the gospel. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. How many? And when you think about all, what do you think? You think of what about? All, right? Like this, like this, all. But, but, and then look at the next line. Each of us has turned to his own way. Then you think, what about each person in particular? So to make sure you get it, he says, all and each. Now notice what he says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've just read about Pharaoh who said what? No, no. Haven't we all said no to God? No, we'll run our lives. And what did we see Pharaoh? He tried to bargain with God, right? And haven't we tried to bargain with God? Listen, we've all sinned over and over against God, and we're in big trouble. Because if we keep going our own way, and we keep going our own way, and eventually God says what? Have it your way. And none of us wants that. Now listen, that's the bad news of, of the gospel. Here's the good news. Listen, but... But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The good news of the gospel is there's a Savior named Jesus. He, he's God who became a man and lived among us. And he lived a perfect life in complete surrender to his Father, always walking in obedience. And then he went to the cross. And I want you to see what happened on the cross God the Father put our son, sins on his son, and he died in our place. This is the great doctrine called the substitutionary atonement, where Jesus became our substitute. As a full, fully man, he could be our substitute. As fully God, his death would be of infinite value. He became our substitute and died to atone for our sins. As Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he cried out, it is finished or paid in full. He was saying that he had paid in full the penalty for sin. How do we know that's true? Because he was dead, but on the third day he rose, right? And when Jesus walked out of the tomb, that was the proof that the penalty for sin, which is death, had been paid in full and death couldn't hold him anymore. And so Jesus walking out of the tomb offers us salvation. Salvation, which is the forgiveness of sins the opportunity to do life with Jesus now, walking in the light and not in the darkness, the opportunity to do eternity with Jesus, eternity in the light rather than the darkness. And what does he require of us? In Acts chapter 16, there's a, Paul and Silas are in jail, and the jailer asks a question. Now notice the question. The jailer asks Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, 
Now, I'm a pastor, and I would think a lot of people would ask me that question. What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to be forgiven? What do I need to do to spend eternity with, with God? But it's, it's amazing to me how rare anyone ever asks the most important of all questions. Isn't the most important question? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then notice, they didn't say try harder or, or you know, do a few more good works. Notice, they said what? Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now notice it says believe in the... Lord, you understand what Lord means, he's Lord, and Jesus, do you know what Jesus means? Jesus means Savior. So what it's saying to be saved is we need to believe in the Lord who is our Savior, Lord and Savior. And how do we do that? We unconditionally surrender to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, right? Isn't that what we hear all the time, that, that really believing in Jesus is as simple as A, where we admit and, and B, believe and, and then commit? See, it starts when we admit that I've sinned against you. That's where it starts, but that's not enough because what did Pharaoh say? What did Pharaoh say? He said what? I've sinned. That's where it starts, but saving faith is more than admitting we've sinned. It involves believing. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and, and rose again. And then it involves committing, surrendering. Pharaoh didn't surrender. To surrender to Jesus as Savior is to say, Jesus, I'm not going to trust in myself anymore, not in my good works. I'm trusting you did it all for me. I'm trusting you to save me. If you've never done that, won't you? And listen, to surrender to Jesus as Lord is to say the rebellion ends today. Today I surrender. Listen, as you lead and give me strength, I'll follow you all the days of my life, won't you? Won't you do that now? I'll give you a chance when we close in, in prayer, but admit and believe and commit. And have you done that? Have you done that? Then listen, then you're saved. And that's how we begin the Christian life. We practice unconditional surrendering. That's how we live the Christian life is by unconditionally surrendering to Jesus decision by decision. So the action step for this week, what I want you to do is to practice unconditional surrendering. I want you to practice unconditional surrendering. And you might say, well, how do you do that? So let me help you out a little bit. I, I want to give a little Bible test, okay? Now, we talk about Jesus as our Savior, and we talk about Jesus as our Lord. So I want all of you to vote. I want all of you to vote. You've got to vote. And I want to ask you, how many of you believe that the Bible speaks about, uses the word Savior more than Lord? Let's see your hand. Wow, not many of you. Okay, how many of you believe the Bible uses Lord more than Savior? You're really a smart church, okay? <laughs> but I believe this will shock you. The word Savior occurs in the whole Bible 37 times. So, Lord, 74, 140, look at this. 7,918. Um, you, you think there might be a message in that? That Jesus requires unconditional surrender? Wow. So, so what does that look like? What, what does that look like? Well, this week, didn't we get to read about unconditional surrendering and, and, and as we read through Luke? Haven't you been enjoying reading through Luke? I, I sure have. Remember in Luke 5, in Luke 5, this is what unconditional surrendering looks like. The opposite of Pharaoh. Now what happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, so Jesus is speaking, people are listening in. Isn't that why we're here? We're listening in to the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. <laughs> Listen, Jewish people were not seafaring people. They called this the Sea of Galilee. The Romans were more seafaring, so they called it the Lake of Gennesaret. It's the same place. It really was a lake. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. So I want you to know, Jesus says, I want to get in your boat. And Peter, he, 
He surrenders. He says, teach from my boat. But I want you to notice something. This is, this is gospel obedience and not religious obedience. It's, you say, what? It's gospel obedience, not religious obedience. Religious obedience is people obey God so that God will love them. If I obey God, he will love me. Gospel obedience is no, no. God loves us, and so we obey him. We love because he first loved us. Listen, the reason that Peter and Andrew and James and John obeyed is because God had already loved them. This was not the first time Peter and Andrew, James and John met Jesus. If you read John's gospel, Andrew met Jesus first, and he invited Peter, come and see. And Peter and Andrew and James and John, they had already walked with Jesus. If you read Matthew 4, and if you read Mark 1, and Jesus calls them to come after him, that seems to be a different occasion than this. Before this, Jesus has already healed Peter's mother-in-law. They already have a friendship. They've already been loved by God. And so when Jesus speaks, it's his friend. Peter and Andrew, James and John say, okay, and they surrender. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon Peter answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now, Peter was a fisherman. He knew you fished at night, not during the day. He had fished all night and caught nothing. But what did he say? He said, yes, Lord, you were right. It doesn't make any sense to me at all, but you say it, I'll do it. That's unconditional surrendering. I love you, so I'll do what you say. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. <clears throat> so they signaled to their partners in the, in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of the fish which they had taken and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, let me ask you, when you read they left everything and followed him, how do you read that? Do you read it like this? When, when they had brought their boats left, they left everything. <sighs> they left their nets. They left their family. They, left their, they did all that just to follow Jesus. Or do you read it? They left everything to follow Jesus. What was with the catch of fish? Wasn't the catch of fish to show Peter and Andrew and James and John that if they would follow him, they would be wildly successful catching people? What Jesus said to them is, do you want to spend the rest of your life catching fish or do you want to join me and change the world? They gladly turned loose of everything to follow Jesus and help change the world. Jesus said, do you want to spend the rest of your life catching fish that are alive and then kill them? Or do you want to join me and catch people who are dead and watch me bring them to life? No wonder they left everything to follow Jesus. How about you? You ever wonder why he picked Peter and Andrew and James and John, they weren't the brightest bulbs in the pack, okay? You know why he chose them and changed the world with them? To encourage you and me. Because so many of us think, well, I don't know enough or I'm not smart enough. Jesus says, look at what I can do through fishermen. Imagine what I could do through you. Do you hear what Jesus says to us? Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I love what John Piper says. He says, when Jesus is our treasure, following him will be our pleasure. When the idea of following Jesus and, and, and uh, catching people, when, when that's our treasure, listen, we'll unconditionally surrender to it and it'll be our pleasure. So let me ask you, what is Jesus calling you to surrender on? What have you been resisting on? What have you been trying to bargain with? Today, won't you practice unconditional surrendering, won't you? Yes, Lord. You're right. Listen, I love you and, and I want to follow you. 
this week, this week, what if we got up every day and we spent time with Jesus? Wouldn't that be a great way to start the day? And what if when we're spending time with Jesus, we said, yes, Jesus, you're right. You can run my life better than me. I love you. Help me to follow you. And then as we left that time, a thousand decisions every day we have to make, right? Yes, Lord, um, you're right. I love you. I want to follow you. Won't you practice that this week? And, and listen, Jesus says if we follow him, we could catch people. So let me ask you, won't you surrender there too? Who do you know? Who do you know that would love to hear what we heard about today? Who do you know who would love to hear that they can come out of the darkness into the light? Who do you know that would love to hear that they could be forgiven of all they've done wrong? Who do you know who would love to know they could live forever? Won't you share with them? Listen, we're three weeks out from Easter. Who would you like to have sitting with you? Did you hear what Jesus said? Don't fear from now on, you'll be catching men. Won't you pray? Won't you invite? Won't you bring? Ah, this week, practice unconditional surrendering. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful you left everything to come and save us. Thank you for living that perfect life for us. Thank you for dying in our place on the cross to atone for our sins. Thank you for rising to prove it. Thank you for offering us salvation. Listen, remember what we heard, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you've never been saved, won't you? Won't you admit to him? Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe? I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit? Jesus, I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, won't you? And if you have, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Lord, I pray those of us who've unconditionally surrendered to you for salvation, that this week we would practice unconditional surrendering starting each day and a thousand decisions every day that we would say, yes, Lord, you were right. You know what's best. I love you. I want to follow you. Help me. Lord, may that be true of us, and may we follow you into the harvest, and may each of us have opportunities this week to share with others what we have learned today. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.